I am going to have you uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Adohinu, Adonai Echad. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that is how we should come to Bible study. We should say, okay, I'm here to engage with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. And so I am going to have you bounce back and forth in your Bible. It'll be a good exercise for you. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. They made the Bible app. And uh, it's a great little tool. If you don't have that, there's probably somebody right around you that has it. But if you just go to the app store, it's the one that pops up a brown Bible that says Holy Bible on it. And it's a great little app. Uh, So we're going to bounce back and forth. But what we're going to start to see tonight is a little bit what you saw in the flesh on the stage right here behind me just a minute ago. And that is the Lord is, is a symphony composer. And his symphony seems to start sometimes with a real big crash and big band that comes out and a lot of music, but it ebbs and it flows. And sometimes you think, where is this heading? And if you don't stay for the whole thing, it won't make sense. But when you see it all come together, you'll just get teary-eyed and you'll get choked up And I don't care how much of a man's man you are or how strong of a lady you are, you will get choked up and you will think, I never saw that coming. It's so good. The hard times, I wouldn't do away with them. Those silly times that I stressed out about, I wouldn't do away with those. Like the Lord was working the whole time and He was working out His plans for His good and I just happened to benefit from those. So, Without further ado, I want to just walk us through kind of where we were last week. I'm going to give a really, really fast forward because you kind of need to know a little bit of that to catch up. So if this is Netflix, um, it's the part where they say previously on. And, uh, and so we started this whole idea of, of tabernacle to temple to you are the new temple. It's a three-week series. We started it with the idea from 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Typically, that verse is applied to sexual morality. And so we know in today's world, sexual identity is super confusing. Uh, the pronouns, all the things are like really confusing. And where do you land? And how do you how do you take a stand uh, in any direction, uh, let alone a Christian stand, which is where we would come from? And so normally you take that verse and you say, don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? You need to act right with it. And I started thinking about that verse and I thought, I think if people knew what that meant, that were this temple, then maybe it would take a little more gravity and a little more weight. And we actually could live out the verse if we knew what it meant to be a temple. So it started with that idea. And then I broke it into three weeks. Last week was East of Eden. It was on the tabernacle. This week is God provides. It's on the temple. And next week is the new temple, which means that we are Christians. And there's this red line that flows through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And these physical buildings, the tabernacle in Exodus, the temple uh, starting in Second uh, Samuel where, where David wants to build the temple, all the way through Jesus coming, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and us now being told that we now are the new temple. And that's in two places in the New Testament. One is also uh, in First Peter. And First Peter says, you are 
stones, living stones, being knit together, being built together to make the temple of God. So you're like a little temple, and we're all, if you're Christians, being hewn, cut out to fit together to make this incredible body of Christ where the Lord dwells. So we're going to take a look at that next week. Next week is definitely the crescendo. But I showed you some pictures last week from my book, one of my favorite books. This book is The Rose Guide to the Temple. There's a rose guide to a lot of things. If you want to just get a great book, it's going to cost you like 30 bucks on the Amazons. Um, but Jeff Bezos will send it to you like in a day or two. And so if you want a great book, any of the rose guides are good. But the rose guide to the temple, and it'll also take you back to like when you were a kid, because there's pictures like this. This is the tabernacle. This is what we looked at last week. The tabernacle, uh, it started, hold on, go, go back one. I'll, I'll do the cutout in just a second. The, the tabernacle there, it starts in Exodus 25. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. There's a million plus of them. They wander for about 30 days. They get to Mount Sinai. That's where, that's where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. But Moses spends 40 days up on the mountain. And you think about that. God made the world in six days. It took him 40 days to tell Moses how the Israelites should live, and a chunk of those 40 days were devoted to explaining what you see in this picture. And so, if you get the Rose Guide to the Temple, you can also flip the page, and this is what you'll see. That's right, uh huh. There's a cutout, and it's beautiful. And you can see inside the temple at this point. Brandon, if I walk this way, will it, will it like make the mic do things? Maybe? We'll try it. Okay, I'll come over here. Ah, <laughs> all right. So here's the cool thing about the temple and you can't see it over there, but I'm going to start. It's not fair to you, is it? Okay. I'm going to start way over here. When you come in the temple, this is so cool. When you come in the temple, you go by this thing right here and it's the showbread. The showbread is very interesting. It's a kind of a mysterious thing, but what does Jesus call himself in the new Testament in the book of John? He says, I am the bread of life. And he, the, and the Word is the bread, and He is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there's these, all these nuances that all the way back in Exodus 25, God was painting a picture. It's that symphony. It's like, hey, I know you don't get it, and it's okay that you don't get it. This is my story. It's His story, not your story or my story. It's His story. His story, okay. Uh, and so we, he's like, it's fine if you don't get it. Just do what I'm telling you. It'll make sense later. And so they go by the bread of the presence and they go by this golden lampstand. And that lampstand is always burning. It's got olive oil in it. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. So they're going by all these very interesting things. Then they get to this. This is only the priests that do this. They get to this big, tall thing with the two poles going across it. It's before the, the cutout of the curtain there, though. They get to that, and that is the altar of incense. Well, what does Paul say? There we go. What does Paul say? And I'm going to come over to this side for these people. Um, Paul in the New Testament says that we as Christians are the aroma of Christ. Well, what is this aroma? There's this, so there's all these Christ-like things as you go through the first part of the temple. This is called the holy place. Then there's this veil. And this veil is very interesting. It has two cherubim. And there's, a, there's fire in the middle and they're guarding something. 
And if you were the priest, the high priest, and you could go behind this veil, and Moses also went behind this veil, you would get to the Ark of the Covenant. And so Moses or the priest would go behind, they would get to the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the presence of God was. Now this is very interesting. What did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Come on now, that's cool. There we go. Thanks, man. Yes, it is poetic. Yes. So, no one comes to the Father but through Me. Even back here, God was painting this picture of, I'm telling you, I got a plan, folks. Just let Me work My plan. Now, that'll preach today that God has a plan. And we just got to let Him work His plan. And it's our job to be faithful in the process of His plan. But this, my friends, there's so much more. This is the 30,000 foot view, but we'll stop there. So, that is... That's where we were last week. Uh, and it showed us that God has always... Oh, I do want to tell you one more thing. God has always desired to be with us. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. God kicks them out of the garden. He sets up two cherubim. Very interesting. And He sets up two cherubim and there's a flaming sword between those two cherubim. And what are those two cherubim... Uh, what are those two cherubim protecting? Wait, did I put that picture up? Oh, we did put that picture up, Brandon. Yes. Okay. What are those two cherubim protecting? Well, they're protecting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life because God said they have the knowledge of good and evil. What if they eat from the tree of life? They'll never die and they're going to sin more and more and more and more and more forever. Actually, did you know death is actually a protection over us? We can jack our lives up pretty good in 70, 80 years. What if we live for like 2,000? That would not be a good thing. And so because we sin, He had to give us death. Now what does He do on the cross? The cross moves away death. But here He goes. He guards all these things and what's behind in the very back? The presence of God. Now this is fascinating. On the, t on the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, from the Ark of the Covenant, and all the Christ-like things is painted on it. These two cherubim. And what are they protecting? They're protecting the presence of God. And so to get to the presence of God, you've got to go through Christ. You've got to go through the Christ-like things in the temple. But this is very interesting. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had to go east out of the garden. In Genesis 4, Cain kills his brother Abel and settles in the land of Nod, which the Bible says is east of Eden. The presence of God is always to the west. And so God told Moses, He said, when you put the tabernacle up, always face the entrance to the east because I want My people to go back west. And God is always calling us back to Him. We wander east. He calls us back home west. I just think that's awesome. Okay, so we're going to carry on though. And we're going to look at a little bit more of how God last week east of Eden, how God calls us back west, and this week how God remembers His people and His plan. So, here's where we're going to start. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is going to be the first place we go. In 2 Samuel 7, this is the Lord's covenant with David. We won't read the whole thing. This is actually a great message. Like This whole chapter is a really incredible chapter for another day and another message. The Davidic covenant, it's so rich. And so if you're a Bible scholar out there, you'll think, well, he didn't do that passage justice. I just want you to know I wasn't trying to. There's just too much in here, but we need to get a little background. So here we go. 
Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, the king, by the way, is King David, See now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So up until the time of King David, the tabernacle still existed. They set it up in Jerusalem. They had moved into the land. They settled in Jerusalem and they set that tent up. Now that is an old tent, my friends. That tent is very old, but they set it up. I don't know if they had to do repairs on it often, uh, but they have this tent. It's still set up. The Ark of the Covenant is still in there. The lampstand is still in there. The bread of the presence is still in there. The, the altar is still in there burning the incense. And so they set it up and David's living in his house. David's got like a lake house and a beach house and like a, 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 his king house, like all his houses. And he's like, man, I live so good and God lives in a tent. Which is a noble thought. And in verse 3, he says, Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So David wants to build a temple. Nathan the prophet says, I think that's a great idea. Verse 4, But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I haven't lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of, e of Israel from Egypt. And from this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I cut off all your enemies. And he goes on and he goes on, and you go to verse 14, and it says, I'm sorry, verse 13, and he says, you're going to have a son. He says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put it away from before you. And your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So here's what just happened. David says, I want to build God a house. A really great temple. Nathan says, I think that's a great idea. God comes back and says, don't do it. The reason is because David has killed too, much, too many people. He's got too much blood on his hands. He wouldn't be a good person to be the builder of God's temple. So Solomon, his son, is going to build this temple. And in the process, we're going to see a lot of things that, 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 that have happened in history to make this come. But we also just see, hey, this is, this is like your first little teaching point here. There are so many Christians that I meet that are just waiting for God to show up. And they're like, man, maybe God will give me a spouse. Maybe God will give me that job. Maybe, maybe this will happen. Maybe that will happen. What I like about David here is he was like, I'm going to do something for God. I would much rather have to like rein somebody in who's like, I'm about to do some stuff for God than somebody who's like, I'm just waiting for God. Just waiting for God to show up. Now the Scriptures are full of waiting for God and we should wait for God. But sometimes I think the Lord just wants us to like do stuff for Him. 
And you know what? I have taken this verse to heart more than once because I'm like, Lord, I think I should do this thing. I'm going to go do it. And if I shouldn't, will you send a Nathan the prophet to me and stop me from doing this thing? And it's worked out pretty well. I would much rather you be the kind of person that's like, I want to do some stuff for God. And somebody have to come along and say, hey, that's a great idea, but let's like rein it in just a little bit or let's redirect it this way or let's wait for this time. But there's so many Christians that just sit around and just wait for the perfect time to do the perfect thing. And other people just pass them by because they're the ones that are like, well, I'm going to do some things for God. And God honors that. And if he, I really think God will stop you. If you get too far ahead of him, if you've got a heart like David, I think he'll stop you and he'll say, hey, good idea, wrong way, wrong time, wrong person, wrong thing. So let's press on. So David's covenant is established. That's another message for later. Solomon is going to build the temple. That's going to be in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22, verse 5. If you want to turn there, this is where we're going to bounce around. We're going to be in First and Second Chronicles for a second. And I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it to you. First Chronicles 22.5, For David said, Solomon my, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Here's your second teaching point for the night. Some of you do not have the experience to do what God wants to do with you. Some of you don't have the intellect to do what God wants to do with you. Some of you don't have the talent to do what God wants to do with you. But He wants to do it anyway. Because who gets the credit at that point? You or Him? He gets the credit. Some of you don't have the past to do what God wants you to do. I remember I had done some things that I really, really regretted early on in, in, uh, in my life. And uh, I still continue to do some things that I really regret, but I'd done some things that were like really regret. And, uh, and I felt God calling me into ministry. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way anyone would want to hear me talk about God, especially the people that have known me because they knew the stuff that I did. I had a genuine conversion moment. I genuinely came to the Lord. God genuinely saved me. He genuinely redeemed me. He began to give me new desires and I began to pursue those desires and I felt a call to ministry. And one of my biggest hurdles was, well, there's no way I can do that because I've done too many other things. And I look at this, when I read the Bible through for the first time, which was in college, I came across this verse and I've come across it many times since. And I thought, that's the perfect person to do those things. Because who gets the credit? God gets the credit not the person. And so God picked Solomon, who was too young and inexperienced to know what he was doing. And Solomon is going to take that tabernacle and turn it into a permanent structure. And so uh, David starts the process, much like Moses did. We won't read those verses, but that's if you're a note taker, that's in 1 Chronicles 28, 11 through 19. David uh, begins getting a bunch of the materials together, all the supplies together. There are over a hundred, I think there was, this is crazy, I think it was a hundred, this is going to sound like I'm making it up, I think it was a hundred tons of gold that was collected for the temple. Like, it was a little bit of work for David to collect all the stuff. But in his dying years, David collects all these incredible things for this temple, and God spoke to him and told him how it should be set up. So he starts that process, and then Solomon builds the temple Let's turn to 2 Chronicles, just a couple of pages over from where you just were. 
Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter one. Where are we here? Second Chronicles chapter one. Look at verse. Uh, sometimes my eyes mess up still, and I do apologize. I'm like, what am I looking at here? Okay, there we go. I've got it. Second um, Chronicles one. Uh, I'm sorry, seven one through three. There we go. Second Chronicles seven one through three. And Solomon builds the temple. And then he dedicates the temple. Now this is interesting. David has died. Solomon is dedicating this temple. In verse chapter 7, verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord in the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And so the temple gets established. And God's got a home. This was in about the year 931 B.C. Now you would think if God did a major work among us that we would be faithful to Him to our dying breath, which hopefully is like at 143. 931, the temple is established. In 910 B.C., Israel has drifted so far from God that all the treasures in the temple are taken. The bread of the presence, the golden lampstand, and so on and so on. In 835 B.C., less than a hundred years after Solomon prayed and fire came down from heaven, the whole temple is ransacked and damaged. Nine years later, in 826 B.C., the temple is plundered by the northern kingdom, by other Jewish people. 720 B.C., King Ahaz tears the temple up trying to pay off another king with what's left of the gold and the things in the temple. By 622 B.C., King Josiah reestablishes worship for nearly the first time since Solomon established the temple. But it was too little too late, and by 586 B.C., a king from the north from Babylon comes in named Nebuchadnezzar. And he destroys this incredible thing that had been built that was the house to worship God. Let me just show you a couple of, a couple of drawings of Solomon's temple. So here's, here's one drawing of Solomon's temple. This is what it looked like. Now we went from that like tent to this thing. And it's pretty incredible what it looks like. If you look at the inside of that same drawing because you have cutouts in this book, uh, let's go one slide over. There we go. This is what the inside of it would have looked like. And uh, and so like it was three stories tall. Instead of one golden lampstand, you got 
like a ton of golden lampstands. You still have one thing of the bread of the presence. You've got the incense. Instead of having like veils with the golden uh, cherubim on it, now you have like golden cherubim. I mean, this thing's incredible. I'll show you another more detailed picture of it. So this, this is a twofold spread in the book, but this is what it would have looked like. I don't know if you can see the people. If you look at the number six on there at the bottom and the number seven, there's a little person in a white robe to show the scale of what Solomon built. Now this thing, if you're like, I don't see it, that's them. Uh, this thing, I mean, Solomon like built this thing. I mean, it was incredible. And all the gold stuff is not painting. It's gold. It's hammered gold all over the sides of this thing. And you know what? It was supposed to be, this is so fascinating. It was supposed to be a picture of heaven. It was the picture of heaven came down to earth. Everything in it describes something that's heavenly. None of it was just like ornate and pretty. It's not like going into one of the old Roman Catholic churches in Europe and saying, oh, this is like really ornate and pretty. Like all of these things were prescribed by God to be built so that it would represent heaven coming down to earth. But their hearts just got so cold. And there's no difference in them and us. Let me just tell you, the reason that we read the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament when we get frustrated with them is because it's a mirror. We do the same things. We're like, man, I had a great experience with God, and now I'm going to go make bad choices this weekend. It's the same thing. And ultimately, it's because we don't trust who the Lord is. We don't trust that He's working out this plan, this incredible plan. And if we'll just stay faithful, we'll see Him work this plan out. And we'll see Him do more with us than we ever could have asked or imagined. And we'll worship Him more than we ever could have thought. And we'll be enamored with Him and we'll be in awe of Him because we saw we stepped back and we lost ourselves and we gained Him. And we said, man, Lord, I had no idea you were going to do all these things. Now, Here's what's, here's what's a little bit more sad. What's a little bit more sad is this, this temple was like, it was prepped to be here like over a thousand years before it was ever here. I mean, God had like started His symphony so long ago and it was reaching a crescendo here. All of this ultimately to usher in Christ and we just got bored with it. And you know, this is a little side note, but Solomon who built this temple, he, um, he wrote the, the Song of the Songs, or Song of Solomon in some of your Bibles is what it's called. And in there he says to his beloved, he says, beloved, let us chase away the little foxes because they will destroy the garden. The same guy who encouraged his beloved to chase away the little things, they can end up ruining the whole thing. Was around when the big thing got destroyed by all these little things. Let me just tell you how the symphony went though. If you go to Israel today, You'll, you'll see this, and you, you actually won't see this because it's not there. But what you'll do, you'll pull into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is on a hill. 
Uh, and so every road that you come into Jerusalem on, you can see Jerusalem when you get there. And it's the best if you go to Jerusalem and you pull in on a Friday evening because that's Shabbat, the beginning of Shabbat. And everybody, all the religious Jews are going to the Western Wall. They're going to the Wailing Wall. By the way, why would you go to the Western Wall We've been, if you've been here two weeks? Because God's in the West. And it's the only wall standing. And so you go to the west side where the altar used to be, where the Ark of the Covenant used to be, where God's presence was. And so you go to the western wall and you get as close as you can to where the presence of God was and you pray for God to come back. And you see all these Jews doing that. But what you also see is this giant golden dome. It's the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock actually sits exactly where this used to sit. And you think, well, why? Well, people have wrestled over this spot for a really long time. It's the third holiest site in Islam. People always were fighting over this one spot. And it's really interesting. Why this one spot? What's, so big, what's such a big deal about this spot? This spot could be the epicenter of World War III. If you wanted to start World War III, you'd go to this spot and you'd just cause some chaos and blame some other countries. And now the whole world is involved. It's a really interesting spot. And you got to ask the question, like, what's the big deal about this spot on the globe? You go to like Baltimore, nobody cares. You go here, people are going to really care. Right? Like, if you're Frank from Baltimore, you're offended. But otherwise, like, you're, I, <laughs> there probably is a Frank from Baltimore here. Um, but, like, I mean, like, you know, you go, you go to Baltimore and people are going to get, like, a little worked up. You go stir up some trouble in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. My friends, you, you've caused, like, a big problem. You'll make all the headlines on all the news channels. And you got to ask the question, what's the big deal about this spot? Why, God's everywhere now. We're Christians. We're little temples. What's up? What, what's going on with all this? Well, let me just walk you through a couple of things. So, the question is tonight: Like, does God remember His work? Does He remember what He started? Is He going to finish what He started? Let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles seven. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. Now, this is interesting. Solomon prays and fire comes down on this spot. It's not the first time fires come on this spot. Turn back a couple of pages. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. In 1 Chronicles 21, David has sinned and the angel of the Lord is about to kill a bunch of people in Jerusalem. And the angel of the Lord commanded Gad, who was a prophet, to say to David, I'm in verse 18, he said to David, uh, that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Onarn the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, and when he had spoken in the name of the Lord, now Ornan was threshing his wheat, and he turned and he saw the angel. And I'll just tell you the story. So Ornan had four sons. The four sons see the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn about to, to enact justice on Jerusalem because of David's sin. Ornan's sons go and hide. Ornan looks, he sees the angel, and he also sees David walking up a hill. David walks up a hill, and he's like, King, is that you? And David says, it's me. And David said, I'm supposed to buy your threshing floor. And uh, Ornan said, you can just have it. But David just happened to have 15 pounds of gold on him. And uh, that's what it would translate to today, petty cash. And so David pulls out his 15 pounds of gold, and he says, Something that's interesting. Here's another teaching point for you. He says, I won't take anything for the Lord that doesn't cost me something. I think that's a really, really good line for us. David said, if it's for the Lord, I'll pay. 
And so David hands him 15 pounds of gold. Ornan was probably like, no more threshing for me. And, uh, and so, because he's just like separating the wheat from the chaff. And, uh, and David buys this threshing floor and he follows the command of Gad. Gad says to build an altar on this threshing floor. And so let's take a look. Let's see if I can find the right verse. Let's go to verse uh, 24. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them for full price. I won't take... I won't take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings at the cost of nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold. Verse 26, And David built there an altar to the Lord, and he presented the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offerings. And then the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword back into his sheath. Here's what happens. David goes up on a hill. He buys this, this, this threshing floor. When he buys the threshing floor, he builds an altar and he prays and fire comes down. Could it be the same hill that Solomon builds this temple on? Well, it absolutely is the same hill that Solomon built his temple on. If you go a couple of pages over to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. There's something special about this spot. And remember, God has got this symphony going and He's building it. And one day Christ is going to return and it's going to be the, it's going to be the penultimate conclusion to the symphony. And right now He's got this little symphony in your 70, 80, 90 year life going on that is to bring Him glory. And your ultimate satisfaction will also happen in that. And he also has this part of his story going on. But I need to put the dots together for you. So turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. Do you remember a story about an old man sacrificing his son? By the way, that Bible story of Abraham and Isaac, the one we're about to look at, used to scare me more than any other Bible story because it was usually told like during youth group and it was like, and do you have anything in your life that you love more than God? Because God's going to ask you to sacrifice it. And I was like, I hate this night. Um, and so usually it was like my girlfriend or something and I was like, I'd like weigh it out and I was like, I think I love her like less than God, like a little bit less. So certainly like it'll be fine. Um, and like, or like my sports or my hobbies or whatever. I was like, I think, I think we're good. Um, nevertheless, like God, there were a lot of things that God wanted to sacrifice in my life at that point. Uh, but I hated that. So we're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, maybe another night. So after these things, verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Do you remember? Second Chronicles. On the threshing floor of Ornan. On Mount Moriah. I want you to build this altar for me there. So, 
Abraham goes to the land of Moriah and offers there a burnt offering, and I want you to offer on, on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here on the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, listen to this. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, remember God was going to tell him in Moriah which mountain to go to. Abraham, verse 10, reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. All the way back in Genesis, God began to do a work. And He said, I picked out this little rocky outcropping. One day it'll be called Jerusalem. One day they'll call it the Temple Mount. But for now, we'll call it Moriah. And that mountain over there, the one I show you, is going to be Mount Moriah. And on Mount Moriah, I'm going to take Abraham up. And I'm going to have Abraham take his only son. And I'm going to have Abraham go through the act of sacrificing his only son. Then I'm going to stop him. And I'm going to show him, no, no, I'll provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And then years and years go by and the Israelites wander through the wilderness and they finally come into the land. And at that point, David is the king and David says, I want to build a house. And God says, I know a place. I'll show you the place. I want you to go buy an altar from a guy on Mount Moriah. And David goes and he buys this little plot of land that at one point in time, years and years and years before, an old man and his only son walked up where the Lord who provides showed up and intervened. And so David built a house there through his son Solomon. And this house existed for a long time. And then it got torn down. And the next week we're going to see there's a second temple that's built on this same spot. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. There was a lamb who eventually was sacrificed at the foothill of Mount Moriah. And He was the Lamb who paid the price for all of our sins because this symphony God had been directing through all these years finally comes to fruition in the last chapters of the Gospels when Jesus Christ is drug away and goes to the base of Mount Moriah, the place where God originally told Abraham, 
thousands of years before, I will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And once and for all, thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices had been made on that spot, on that mountain, and finally they were done. And we have the audacity to say, I don't have time to wait on God. I don't have time to see His plan through. What's He doing? Where's He been? He's been working out His plan for way before you and I were ever even thought of by the people that love us most. And He is working out His plan well beyond when you and I are gone and washed up on the shores of heaven. And so the best we can do is say, God, I trust Your Word that You don't forget Your people and You will complete the work of Your hands and You will not abandon the work of Your hands. Just help me to be faithful in the times that I don't know what You're doing. And that is my challenge for you tonight. All these players throughout history that never even met each other. And God was using all of them for these building blocks to usher in His Son and to show the world that He one day would provide the ultimate Lamb. And so my challenge for you tonight is to stay faithful and not give up. And I know some of you are like, I've been trying for 10 years. I've been trying for 15 years. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. What is God up to? We'll try a little longer and stay a little, try a little harder and stay a little longer. Like, don't go anywhere because He's not done. Let's be the ones that finish. Let's be the ones that finish the race. You see, God remembers His people and His plans and He will finish what He started. And now that we've looked at a couple of them, the tabernacle and the first temple, I want to finish with the words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says, as you come to Him, as you move west and come to Him, you, He is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, pro- chosen and precious. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you've signed up to be with the Lord, you now are one of those little stones that God is putting into His temple and He has every right to take His hammer and His chisel and knock off whatever edges He wants to knock off. He has every right to put the hammer and chisel down and to seemingly walk away for a while where you're like, what is going on? But the Scriptures hold true. He finishes what He starts. It's your job just to stay put and let Him finish. So may your strength be renewed. May you stand secure in that you are not a complete work and He has not completed His work. So let's link arms and let's stay in this thing. I'm going to pray for us. Jordan and the team are going to come back up and lead us in a song or two. If you have any questions as we conclude tonight, I'll be over here by the table. I'd love to to chat with you. And I know there's some folks in the room that probably don't know that saving relationship with Jesus. I promise you, on behalf of all the other people around you that probably do have that walk with the Lord, that know Him, that have been bought by Him, life is hard for everybody. It might as well be hard 
with a glorious end and a God who loves us, guiding and directing us, might as well be hard being on His team and His side. I'd much rather trust myself to Him than trust myself to me. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank You for the way You love us. I thank You for this incredible plan that You've been building since the beginning of time. Even picking out that one little plot of land on top of a mountain where one day Your Son would come and be the ultimate sacrifice, making us little temples where He dwells and where You dwell. Lord, I thank You that You love us. Help us to be faithful Help us to press on and help us to trust that You are writing Your story and may we just be content to be a part of that story. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.